Welcome again to everyone here at HCV Brompton Road. Welcome to all of you joining us from the other HCV sites and to all of you joining us online today. So thrilled to have you with us. I want to look today at the book of Nehemiah. If you have a Bible, you may like to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. It's page 487 in the church Bibles, but the verses will also come up on the screen. What happened in the book of Nehemiah took place in the year 445 BC. And as many, well, I expect all of you know, the exile happened in the 6th century BC. The people of God, Israel, were sent into exile in Babylon. They were there for approximately 70 years. And they came back uh, to rebuild the temple, which was what we're going to be studying on Tuesday, uh, the book of Haggai uh, in Groups Live, as you've heard. And then Nehemiah, who was a layman, a civil servant, like most of you, he was in, uh, just in the workplace. He was called by God to rebuild the walls. The walls of Jerusalem remained in ruins. And this is what we read in chapter 2, verse 17. Then I, that's Nehemiah, said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. And what the king had said to me, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gershom the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start Rebuilding. I want to talk to you today about it's time to rebuild. Let's start rebuilding. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us today as a community, to you online? What we sense is that it's time to rebuild our lives to rebuild our communities, the church and the world. It feels like we have been in a kind of exile, especially during the pandemic. Uh, I, wanted, I don't know what you associate with the word exile, but I wanted to see what, what would most people associate with the word exile. So I googled the word exile. And do you know what the first thing that came up? Taylor Swift. <laughs> singer, songwriter, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I had heard of Taylor Swift, you'd be surprised to know, but what I hadn't realised is how many followers she has. Do you know, even on, just on Instagram, she has 180 million followers. Swifters, they're called. <laughs> I don't think I qualified to be a Swifter yet, but I love the words of her song called Exile. She wrote it during the pandemic. And she writes this, now I'm in exile. 
you're not my homeland anymore. So what does the Bible mean by the word exile? It means disruption, trauma, loss of the life we've been used to. It means heightened anxiety, increased fear, sadness, trouble, devastation, ruins, a sense of failure, self-doubt, defeat. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. Perhaps you can relate to some of those things. The pandemic has devastated so many lives. There's been the physical crisis, physical health crisis. It's been a financial crisis. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have lost businesses. But there's also been a mental health crisis, an increase of anxiety, depression, the loss of the life we knew, loss of holidays, loss of routines, loss of freedom. And before I had the opportunity to, we had the opportunity to get away for, for holiday over, over the summer, I reached a point which I don't think I've ever reached before in my life. I've been very tired before, but I've never reached a point where I was actually close to exhaustion. And I don't think it was my age. I, I read a, an article in the week which says, now middle age starts at 60. So actually, I'm just emerging from youth. <laughs> and it'll be many years before I'm old. So it wasn't that, but it was something about this exile that we're, I think so many of us have experienced. And the question that I want to ask today is what can we learn from the book of Nehemiah about how to cope? What have I learned? Here's the first thing I've learned and the first thing that we see in the book of Nehemiah. The pace of grace. The pace of grace. Nehemiah says... The gracious hand of my God was upon me. The God of heaven will give us success. As the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And I've read from chapter 2, the first chapter of Nehemiah is all about his prayer life. That's where it started. It was God's plan he was following not his own. Uh, some of you may have been at the leadership, the last leadership conference we were able to hold at the, the, the Albert Hall, where the wonderful African-American pastor, Mike Todd, spoke on this subject, the pace of grace. And at the time, we thought, wow, that's a lovely idea, that's great talk. But I think now I realize it's essential that we operate at the pace of grace because we need physical, emotional, and spiritual help. As I said, I got close to exhaustion, and actually I got some professional help. And here are some of the things that I, I've learned about the pace of grace. I was operating at an unsustainable pace in my life. 
I just got, you know, I think my routines had gone. You know, I, I, before the pandemic, I had a way of just getting away. 2.30, I got on my bike, went to the gym, played squash or whatever it did, mixed with my friends outside the church, totally slowed down, got a break, uh, and uh, had a prayer, um, prayer room on Fridays. I would be in there, and I had all these routines that were a kind of balance in my life. But with the pandemic, I just started operating Un, sort of unconsciously at an unsustainable pace because I thought I wasn't working that hard because I wasn't traveling that much, but actually everyone knew that I was here, so they were all asking me to do things, and eventually I found myself, like, just everything was in seconds. Like, you have 30 seconds to clean your teeth. You have one and a half minutes to shave, eight minutes to get breakfast. Oh, no, the doorbell. That's another 15 seconds. I've got to go and answer the Amazons around. It's like, this is a crazy way to lead your life. Plus, I have to confess to you, I was breaking one of the commandments. Don't guess which one. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's the commandment to take a day off. Not every week I, I broke the fourth commandment, but I did from time to time because I was trying to take Saturdays off and there were weddings and funerals and alpha weekends and I wasn't getting another day off. So, I have resolved that I'm going to try to operate at the pace of grace from now on. So I have resolved to take a day off. Hey, I'm going to do a six-day week. <laughs> so if I can't get Saturday off, I'll take Friday off. And if I can't get Friday off, I'll take Monday off. Shocking, Monday off. <laughs> but I want to operate at the pace of grace. And I want to encourage all of you to operate at the pace of grace to re-establish regular patterns in your lives if you've lost them. And, you know, it's great that you're here today because you have re-established Sunday as a day of worship. But I think we need to, to establish this all in our lives because we've got used to, to watching online. And that's not a substitute for community. And I want to encourage you all, like every Sunday... If you're maybe you're not in London normally, but wherever, you, it, wherever your local church is, go there every Sunday. Make sure that you really get a Sabbath. That is the fourth commandment, that we should worship together, that we should come together as community, that we should take a complete break from work. These are the routines I think we need to establish. For me, one of the key things has been, you know, Jesus talked about the unseen parts of our lives, like our giving and our prayer life. These are the foundations. And for me, uh, uh, many of you know I do the Bible in one year. I've done it actually for 30 years. So that means I've read through the Bible 30 years. But St. Gregory the Great said this, Scripture grows with those who read it. So you always see something new. And what I've learned is just how important. This is one of the things I so enjoyed when I was on holiday and there was no rush. There was just to meditate on the words of God. You know, St. Paul describes the Bible as being theopneustos, which is inspired by God. But there's another meaning of that, theopneustos, the Greek word. You can either transfer, it's, the, the, it's, it's God, neustos, it's breath. So it's either it's God breathed or it breathes God. And both are true. It, the Bible is inspired by God, but it breathes God. 
So as you're meditating on it, you're, you're chewing on it, you're breaking it up so that you can digest and so that you can fill your spiritual hunger that we all have. And this is an amazing thing when you, when you, 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 you encounter Jesus in the Bible. You listen to Jesus in the Bible. And this is a hunger that we all have in our hearts. And, and you know, nothing else will satisfy that hunger. You, even the good things of life, your job, your friends, your relationships, nothing will satisfy that hunger because it's a God-shaped spiritual hunger. I remember Nikki Lee, Nikki and Silla Lee worked in Japan for a time and there they met a Japanese woman and when he, he was talking about this fact that, that nothing else will satisfy this hunger and, and this Japanese woman said, in Japan, she said, it's as if we have two stomachs. We have one stomach for ordinary food, fish, meat, vegetables. We have another for rice. And she said, unless we eat rice, we always feel that something is missing. And I guess if Jesus had been speaking to her, he'd have said, I'm the rice of life. <laughs> I'm the one person who can satisfy this other stomach, which we all have. Jesus is the rice of life. And if we want to operate at the pace of grace, we have to eat the rice of life. We have to be in this relationship with Jesus. So that's the first thing I've learned. I've learned about the pace of grace. The second thing I've learned is the price of rice. <laughs> so, yes, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the rice of life. He's the one we need. And it's a free gift, but there's a price to be paid for following Jesus and for holding him out to the world. And rebuilding in the book of Nehemiah, we see there was a price to be paid. Rebuilding requires resilience. Uh, when Nehemiah saw the state of Jerusalem, the walls broken down, the, the gates burned with fire, it says there was a sadness in his heart. He said, I was very much afraid and, you know, I think one of the things that, that, that many of us have experienced is just sadness and also fear. Fear, sadness and fear at what we see happening around us in a, our society that has rejected Jesus so often and where lives are disordered. Nelson Mandela said, courage is not the absence of fear, it's the triumph over it. And... There's a battle on. There were people around who mocked and ridiculed when they started rebuilding. They said, what, what are you doing? It's never going to work. Look at the state of the church. Look at the numbers in decline. You honestly don't think that you can rebuild the church today? Is there, I mean, what, what's the point in even going to church? Well, there's so much mocking and ridicule out there. And anger as well. Sanballat was angry when he heard that they were rebuilding. What are these feeble Jews doing, he said. And again, there's so much anger out there. You can see it on the roads. There's so much, road, even more road rage than there used to be. 
And there's anger everywhere. It just seems to be everywhere. It's even in danger of coming into the church. People being angry with one another, that should never happen. But this is, this is, this is the price of holding out Jesus, is that there will be opposition. No blessing goes uncontested, as Sandy always used to, Sandy Miller always used to say. And sometimes you will face opposition, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. And if you're holding out Jesus to the world, you will face opposition. Jesus warned us of that. And we've had a storm. The pandemic's like a storm. And some people have been blown away in the storm. And Jesus said this. He said, look, two houses, two people look exactly the same on the outside. But one, he said, is like a house that has no foundations. And when the storm comes, the house gets blown away. Others are like a house that has foundations. And when the storm comes, it stands. And you may say, I, I know people who've lost their faith during the pandemic. Well, that's what Jesus said would happen. But there are others who have stood. The fact that you're here today, the fact that you're at Onso Square or Courtfield Gardens or wherever you are, shows that you are still standing. You're one of the houses that have stood the test. Some people have been blown away, but others are coming into the kingdom at this time. And loads of people have come to faith during the pandemic. It was exciting to be here on Wednesday at Alpha. Restarting after nearly two years, we started again in person in the church. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So I came over to see all the people. It was so exciting to see there was a queue around the church again. And then we did, a, we did so at 7.30 we went over because there are also groups starting online. Ours was online. It was amazing. We had the most fascinating group of people. If, you, if you've never done Alpha before, if you know people who've never done Alpha before, it is such fun doing it. It's amazing. And as you've heard, it's not too late to start. There's this hunger in every human heart. And there are all these people out there who, who've never tasted the rice of life. And we need to encourage them to come. Because if you don't fill the God-shaped gap with God, you'll fill it with an idol. You'll put something else instead of God. And even good things can become idols politics or music or whatever it is or, or relationships or some and people fill it, fill it with all kinds of things. Sometimes they fill it with drugs. And the thing about idols is this. At first, they offer you everything and they ask of you nothing. But in the end, they cost you everything and they give you nothing. And Jesus is the opposite. His gifts are free. And he gives us everything. Because he, although we have to pay the price of being known as a follower of Jesus, and we may get opposition, 
the cost that we pay is nothing compared to the cost he paid when he died on a cross and took our sin and offered us forgiveness. And we have the, the most amazing message for the world. We have a spiritual story, love story, with a happy ending. It's what the world so desperately needs. We have a message of hope in a world that is in despair. And we have the opportunity to offer people the rice of life. But there's a price. The pace of grace we learn from Nehemiah. The price of rice. And then the peace of geese. <laughs> what do I mean by that? We can only do this together. I, my pattern of is I like to do the Bible in one year, as I say, and then I like to go for a walk around the park to pray. I get very distracted, but I love God's creation. I find God's creation so inspiring. And uh, one of the things is watching the birds fly. And I've been trying to capture the geese flying and put it out on Instagram. But my uh, Instagram is not a great success and my photography is not a great success. And I never managed to capture. These are some of my attempts to get, to get, get this. But th this is the photo that I was trying to get. <laughs> that. And isn't that amazing? That is geese flying in formation. And that is a picture of community. It's what we are meant to be. Uh, this is what I read about it. When geese fly in formation, they create their own unique form of teamwork. That's what we need. Each bird flaps its wings. It creates uplift for the bird immediately following. By flying in a V, by flying together, they fly 71% faster. And I love this. The geese honk from behind to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. And when it, this has been so true in the, in the pandemic, when a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag. Have you felt the drag? And resistance of trying to go it alone and quickly gets back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird in front. When the lead goose gets tired, it rotates back in the V and another goose flies point. Our lead goose never gets tired. Jesus is the lead. Jesus is the one that we're following. When a goose gets sick or is wounded and falls out of formation, two other geese fall out with their companion. I love this. And follow it down to lend help and protection. They stay with the fallen goose until it's able to fly or until it dies. And only then do they launch up on their own and with another formation to catch up with the group. And scientists have fitted a heart monitor to the birds. And what they found is that the birds at the back have the lowest heart rate. They're at peace because they're in the formation and they're being helped by all the others and they're following what is the equivalent of Jesus. That's the peace of geese and this is what we see in the book of Nehemiah. How did they do it? They did it together. 
They worked. If you read chapter three, you'll see they worked shoulder to shoulder, supporting each other. Everyone played their part together in the community. That's why community is so important. We need one another. And there's something about just being together, even on Zoom, actually. When Groups Live started, Trisha Neal, who's, who's here today, and um, Nikki Lee said in our staff meeting that when Trisha Neal organizes a small group, which she invited Nikki Lee and me into, uh, that he can guarantee that the small group we are in is the best organized small group in 2,000 years. And it's been amazing. It, I would not miss that small group for anything. We absolutely love it. And although we only started meeting for Groups Life, we've continued meeting throughout because it's so good to laugh together, to cry together, to have fun together, to support one another, to be shoulder to shoulder, to fly in formation. On Wednesday, uh, I popped in again on Zoom to a group. David and Deirdre Hurst have been running a group in this church for 40 years. It was their 40th anniversary. That's how much they love those people. And we need this community. And people are desperate for community. That, that's why people join, at worst, gangs. At best, clubs or organizations. But the church is far more than just an organization that you join. It's a family where you belong, where you're part of a community, where you, inf where you, where you are with others. It's the greatest community on earth. And we want to see more churches across this country. We want to see a church in every community filled with people worshiping Jesus. That's why we have our theological college, which we started together with the Bishop of London. And do you know we have now... 280 ordinands there. This year, there were 107 new people training for ordination. What are they going to do? They go, they're going to go and run church. We do not want to see a single church in this country closed. We want to see every church filled with people worshiping Jesus, don't we? In every village, town. And we're doing it together. And, and you know, we've planted 20, even in the pandemic, we've in our little network, we planted 21 new churches in cities up and down the country. And we're working together with others in the Church of England, together with the Catholics, Orthodox, Pentecostal, Jesus House, Salvation Army, in unity, shoulder to shoulder. And what are these, church, what are these plants doing? I, I met one of them last week. Some, a team came down from, from Blackpool, Andy Dykes with his team. And they were saying, look, it, it, this... This city, there's so many cities in this nation that are in ruins. And these church plants are like construction teams that are going into those cities to rebuild. And the church is the practical expression of love. That's why we do Love Your Neighbor. Together with churches across the country, started by Tom and Sarah Jackson, have fed 14 million people during the pandemic. 14 million meals. Love Christmas. This year at Christmas, we're planning a million bags of kindness. Helping, as you've done through your amazing generosity in the offering, Afghan refugees. Sarah Jackson sent me this account. And all the permissions have been obtained for me to tell you this story. 
Muhammad Taufik fled Kabul with his wife and two sons. After two weeks in quarantine in the UK, they were relocated to a hotel in our parish for resettlement on Saturday the 11th of September. Our Love Your Neighbour team welcomed them off the coach, helped carry the luggage to their rooms, provided urgent supplies. Many refugees simply had a... We, we went and visited there. And people just arrived with a, a sack, just a bin liner of a few things. One of the volunteers met Mohammed and his 16-year-old son, Iham. Iham was a member of the Afghan under-16 national football team, and he also played for one of the top five clubs in Kabul. Iham had tragically witnessed this. One of his friends from his football club was so desperate to get out of Afghanistan that when the plane took off, he tried to hold on to the plane. And he, you may have read about it in the papers. He, he fell and was killed. Moved by his story and noticing this teenager only had a pair of sandals, one of our volunteers managed to organize for two tickets to the Chelsea-Aston Villa football match. This 16-year-old this boy, his dream had been to go to Stamford Bridge and watch Chelsea. And they bought him a pair of new trainers. Uh, we have a, a photo of the father and son at Stamford Bridge. Father, yeah, isn't that amazing? The father was deeply moved by this act of kindness, tearfully saying, last month, my son lost everything and you have fulfilled a dream for him to visit Chelsea and see a match. What kindness. This family, along with hundreds of others, this is what Sarah Jackson writes, are facing the prospect of having to rebuild their lives and the kindness of a stranger from church gave them a small ray of hope in the midst of their suffering. Each of us can help others rebuild their lives, our communities, our nation, through small acts of love and kindness. Do you know the exile was one of the most creative periods in Israel's history. Much of the Old Testament was written in that period. And the temple was rebuilt. And then what the people said was impossible, the rebuilding of the walls, took place in 52 days. You may be going through a tough time. The church and the nation certainly are. And even if the church was ever reduced to a small persecuted minority, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And Jesus came to declare the end of exile. And Sarah Jackson again, she had this prophetic word, which I think is a wonderful word that there is a phoenix arising out of the ashes. Phoenix symbolizes resurrection, life after death, emerging from the ashes, stronger, smarter, more powerful. Imagine what could happen. Just think what could happen if we as a community all operate at the pace of grace, knowing that the gracious hand God of Jesus is on us. If we go out into this world and hold out the rice of life, whatever the cost, if we have that peace of the geese through Jesus in our hearts, 
Imagine what we could see happen. Imagine what we could do to play our part in the evangelization of this nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. So, let's start rebuilding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.